Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry. Everybody and welcome back to Upworthy Weekly. My name is Todd Perry, a staff writer here at Upworthy. And with me is the wonderful Allison Rosen. You know her from Allison Rosen as your new best friend. And I have a, a question for you, actually. Every time I, every time I see some kind of picture of people on your show doing a show, like if I look on Facebook and it's a picture of all your guests that week mm-hmm. or a guest that week, everybody has these wide, huge smiles okay and and is this leading to where you're trying to suggest that i'm starting a cult i feel defensive regarding cults and my status as a cult leader already not at all not at all okay not at all my point was is it a that people are so happy to be around you that they are just naturally cheerful or before you take the photo is it like all right everybody big smile (laughs) <laughs> it's fear. It's a fearful smile you're seeing. You want to come back um, on the next show? Huh? <laughs> no, I what here's the the true behind the scenes secret. I take like four to six photos and okay. I'll say, OK, one, two, three. And then I take one and then one, two, three. And then I take one. Um, and then we choose like the best one of each person. Okay. So there's an array. Very good. Okay, I was just asking because this is something that I've questioned, not just of recent, of of working with you on the show. This is a question I've had for about 10 years. About me, though, or uh, or everyone? No, no, about about you and the photos of the people on your show. I've always said, man, either she's just so magnetic that everybody's just huge smiles, that, (laughs) or she's treacherous and forcing everyone into a huge smile. Well, I mean, you can get an answer from asking me, but arguably it's not going to be the most objective. You've now worked with me for a period of time. Which is it? I ask you, treacherous or magnetic? I think that I would just naturally give- Don't mess this up! I think I would just naturally give a huge grin because that's kind of what's expected. And then I think that (laughs) she's going, he doesn't get the MO. He's not like smiling wildly, you know. Maybe yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet at Jordan Morris and uh, check with him and, and see if there is some kind of persuasion, right? Or coercion? Coercion? Or is it Jesse that's on your show often? Jesse or it's well, I've had them both on, but it's Jordan who comes on the Thursday show frequently. Got it. Right. Find out what it is I have on him. <laughs> so on today's show, we're gonna talk about some of Upworthy's most popular and engaging stories from January the seventeenth the 21st. And Allison, I believe you have number one. All right. A very fun story here with the headline, woman's revelation that she doesn't shower every day ignites polarized personal hygiene debate. And this was by Jissa Joseph and it ran on Wednesday. So uh, a woman took to a forum on Mumsnet and the forum is called Am I Being Unreasonable? And she wanted to ask about her shower hygiene. So here's her post. 
Okay, so I'm having a few drinks with friends last night. We are all female, a mix of parents and non-parents. One friend mentioned she is struggling to find time for a shower every day since she had her baby. I said, well, I don't shower every day without a young baby. All of my friends looked at me in horror, she wrote. (laughs) Apparently, even the ones with kids shower daily. Full disclosure, I have two daughters, one under five, and I work part-time. I shower on work days plus one extra day, so usually three times a week. My days off usually consist of playing at home, walking the dog, school, run, and maybe the park. I would shower extra if exercising, slash having sex, slash on period, etc. I Mm. bathe my daughter three times a week. My partner works out every weekday, so he does shower more than me. And then she wrote A-I-B-D, which evidently stands the 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 people of Mumsnet know it stands for am i being disgusting and her screen name is gross to not shower uh and then uh, so people had a lot of responses to this oh one second um, I, yeah i find it perplexing that her username was that be it i mean did she just make the account and then put that as her username have. i mean imagine if like you look into the history of gross to not shower and it's just like three years of, of political posts, things about breastfeeding, but also this. Yeah. I think, I think it's like signed gross to not shower, you know, like in an advice column. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So people lost their minds. Someone commented, the only time I don't shower every day is when I'm depressed. Then I can't find the energy for it. I don't know anyone who doesn't shower every day. I do. I know plenty of people who don't. Uh, and then someone else whose username is Waystar Royco CEO. So that is a succession viewer said, personally, I think three times a week is pretty grim. Sorry. I am a shower everyday person. I can't get going in the morning without one, to be honest. Um, however, according to an article published in Harvard Health Publishing, uh, showering several times per week is plenty for most people, unless you're like extra sweaty or grimy or have other reasons to shower more often. Um, the widely embraced norm of showering daily is more about, quote, habit and societal norms than health, and that there might actually be some drawbra- drawbacks to frequent showers. Um, like, you know, you could be drying out your skin, the oils, perfumes, and other additives and shampoos, conditioners, and soaps can cause allergic reactions, they're expensive, etc. What say you, Todd Perry? You know, I I theoretically, because I'm kind of like a theoretical hippie. You know, like I I can. Ex- we know you meditate in the nude after you shower, which I cannot handle. How cold and like vulnerable that is. I don't like it one bit. So I we know all about that. Yeah. See, here's where the problem is. It's uh, it's the hippie thing, which is meditating. But it's a non hippie thing that it comes after, which is showering. So I'm kind of right. I'm trying to have things both ways. Like I can explain to you why the Grateful Dead May Eighth Cornell seventy eight is a great show, right? But also I feel like I'm kind of like a sellout hippie in which I bathe regularly. Uh, I enjoy I enjoy bathing, and I feel yeah. like if I don't if I miss my morning shower, then I'm going to be preoccupied. But I feel like my body's oily and kind of gross. And then also like a shower to me is um, it's kind of like a therapeutic time. It's kind of like when I do my check in where I'm like, okay, where are you? Where are you going? What do you need to get done? What do you not need to do? Uh, Am I happy? Am I sad? 
you know, do I have sunshine wow. in a bag? You know, there's just- You uh, do like a pre-meditation meditation in the shower. Yeah. Do I sound like I'm like extremely self-absorbed at this point with just this amount of, you know, it's also beating myself up when I'm in that zone too. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't say you sound extremely self-absorbed. You sound a little self-absorbed, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Like you're just, it's your Todd time. That's right. Yeah. It's your one-on-one- Todd time. That's right. I have my Todd time. So, and this and this happens seven days a week. I'm gonna say, and I enjoy it. But I'm not against her lack of showering because we we did a study a uh, study a story on this before, and it was with uh, Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher. Oh, right. Because in the pandemic, all these celebrities have come out and said that like they're pretty gross and they don't bathe that often. Yeah. And then I began to think now uh, amongst the celebrities, you know, there's like Todd Perry, not a celebrity, Ashton Kutcher, a celebrity amongst Mm. celebrities. I think because they live in such rarefied air, it's like a brag to say that they're nasty and dirty. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like I think uh, your your former boss uh, used to or co-host used to have a bit called a rich man, poor man. Well, he was my boss. Okay. He was my boss. Yeah. I mean, look, they would introduce me as co-host. So I was like, that sounds good. I'll go running with that. But yeah, he was also my boss. Okay. So Adam Carolla had a bit called Rich Man, Poor Man, where it's like, in stunning ways, really rich people and really poor people are the same. Right. And I feel like the not bathing that often thing is a, you're either really rich or you're really poor. And then Uh everybody, like middle class people be bathing is what I'm saying. Yes. I think that's yes, where it is. Middle class people be bathing. That is catchy. Right. Um, yes. One of the rich men, poor men things was outdoor shower. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Getting driven to the uh, airport was another good one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I had a little internal debate, a little Allison on Allison internal debate over whether right. to come clean, no pun, with the level of funk Funk is not true because I like to think that I smell like both nothing and rich, rarefied air at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But and this is not that common for me, which is why I was tempted to not disclose. But what are we if not fully transparent? Yes. If I told you that I took a shower yesterday but hadn't taken one today, how what would you think? Well, I'm saying given the time of day and the fact that you probably had to get two kids ready uh, for whatever the kids are up to in the morning. Uh, I would say that given the time we record the show, that you, you've you had enough time not to develop a 24-hour funk. Mm. You know, that you're, you, you, you and, and unless you were, again, out exercising heavily, right. mud wrestling, uh, whatever you do on a Thursday night, that I think it's okay. You still have time, you know, but... Now, what if I told you... <laughs> That actually, I didn't shower yesterday even, but I showered Wednesday. Okay, so we're recording this on Friday morning. I showered Wednesday night right before bed. It's a little questionable. It's a, it's I, would little... Not, I would not take this schedule to mom's net, am I gross, or whatever their board is, and I would not parade it in front of these judgmental people. Now, I live with a woman who kind of adheres to about the same bathing schedule, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think she's not a seven-day-a-week thing, but uh, I, it's not because she's, you know, hippie sauce. It's because for a woman to bathe, 
It's much more of a thing. It is a whole thing. Thank you. You you gotta do your hair. You gotta wash all yeah. the different. Women have more things going on with them than men do. You That's know? right. There's there's shaving. There's creams. There's lotions. There's rinse, repeat. There's more rinsing. There's more creams. I mean, there's just you know, it's a whole thing. And Look at the detail. This fine car. Like when when I get into you know my wife's shower. And I look at it. There's there are 25 bottles of stuff that I don't even. It's like shampoo, finishing shampoo, dry shampoo, dog shampoo. Like it's just all these different shampoos. And I have no idea. I'm just in there. I got my soap, and then I have a because I don't have much hair. I have um, that mane and tail shampoo. The big, huge, not mane yeah. and tail. I, not mane and tail. The the dollar bottle. I have two. Like forty ounce dollar bottles of shampoo because it doesn't matter. Are they going to last you the rest of your life? Yeah, pretty much because they just a little dabble do you, you know. Yeah, I recently and I, I know this is a, a a wild tangent, but I recently bought a thing of seasoning salt, and this was grocery delivery, and they replaced it with the economy size one, and I I was like, you know, that's fine, and. It's weird to have a moment <clears throat> of facing my own mortality that has been. Uh, brought about by seasoning salt, but it is like a one, pa- it is the biggest thing of seasoning salt I've ever seen. And I truly am like, this is the last seasoning salt I will ever buy and it will outlive me. That it's is weird. That is heavy because I don't think it ever goes bad. Uh, then generations uh, in the future, they can enjoy it and they can remember, they can think she purchased this during the pandemic. So in in the end here with uh, this this uh, mum this woman in the mums group, the mums uh, nut, she's three three times a week, and I, once on the weekend. So I think she said, wasn't it like four times a week? Really, that's fine. Fair. I'm fine. fine with that. You know, if yeah. I was married to her, I wouldn't be like stank. Right. You know, upworthy weekly. At what age do people start acting like their parents? This study has the answers. And this was written by Todd Perry. I know him. He makes great tilapia. If you've seen any of the progressive insurance commercials featuring Dr. Rick and laughed, then you're probably in danger of becoming like your parents at some time in the near future. Have you seen these, these progressive ads? I don't think I have. I didn't know whether to tell Todd Perry or not. Oh, Wait, he- I, excuse me. So you're, you're, the look you're giving me is burning me to my core um i've seen progressive insurance ads with flow but Mm. who's dr rick okay these are commercials where like there's this psychologist and he turns to people and he says like you might be becoming your parents and they're like kind of millennial aged people that start doing things like he's a millennial aged guy but he's reading thick books about submarines Right. So therefore, he's becoming his dad. It's right. the, the mom, the guy, tur- or the wife, the guy turns to the wife and says, if there are so many pillows on your couch that you can't find a place to sit, then you <laughs> might be becoming your mother. Right. Oh, that's funny. Or they're like in the hardware store and the guy sees like a teenage kid with like pink hair. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, 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 and he needs to make a <laughs> comment about it. And the doctor's like, no, no, no. So it's sad to see these. These are great. I think that you're just too busy, you know, stuck in the ivory tower of prestige television that you're constantly watching that you're not like, I don't know, watching CBS like yeah. Todd and uh, 
checking out these ads, you know. Right. I turned to my husband and I'm like, remember commercials? (laughs) (laughs) So we're all in a collision course for the inevitable parentamorphosis is what they call Mm. it. But when does it happen for most? According to the Daily Mail, a 2019 study commissioned by Dr. Julian De Silva, a plastic surgeon in London, found that most women start becoming their mothers at around age 33, and men begin the process of turning into their fathers a year later at 34. Early signs that women are becoming their mothers include watching the same television shows, using the same sayings, and picking up similar hobbies. And I think sometimes this starts ironically, like, oh, I'm just crocheting just because it's an ironic thing to do and I'm kind of hip. And then it becomes like, did you see I just, you know, crocheted a 24-foot long train for your grandson? You know, (laughs) Uh, I think that's how it becomes. Um, That's how it happens. It starts out as like a a self-aware, self-conscious kind of thing. And then pretty soon it's just your... If I started watching the shows that my parents watched, that would mean that I would get into All My Children and Ryan's Hope, both of which are defunct soap operas. Your mother watches that? Well, not anymore, but she used to. Wow. When I was when when I was growing up, okay. But but both my parents were super into it. But the way that I've noticed that I have started becoming my mom is like on Christmas morning, when we were unwrapping gifts. First of all, I got a bag to put the wrapping paper in, and then as perfectly fine bows went in the trash, I was like, we could probably get another year out of those. Oh, yes. And you started saving them. And oh, yeah, yes. that's a mom thing. And then the dad. That is a is such a my mom. My mom. I mean, maybe it's every mom, but it's especially my mom. Oh, my mom and I have traded the same like Christmas bags back and <laughs> forth 30 times, yeah. you know. Uh, my and I think the dad thing is standing with the trash bag and like just throwing away the wrapping paper immediately once yeah. it comes off the thing. So it doesn't accumulate You're like ready yes. to pounce with the bag. Uh, It says here that for men, signs include adopting their father's political opinions, shutting off lights in rooms that aren't being used, yeah, and listening to an oldies radio station instead of today's hits. Mm. So, uh, so are you? Do you do these things? Uh, I do shut off lights in rooms. Now that's becoming a thing. Uh, I have not yet adopted my father's political opinions and. I, I don't believe I ever will. Uh, <laughs> and I don't really listen to old... I don't know. I have always... I've always kind of liked 60s music and 50s... You know, it's, it's 70s music and, and that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's really changed. Like, I had every Queen CD when I was 15. So I, I've always liked older music. So I don't... Right. I don't think that's really a, a thing for me. It's not a change, you know? 33 and 34 seems a bit young to me to parentify. And yet... Uh, I do know plenty of people, like a lot of people, this is going to sound so, uh, judgmental, but there's plenty of people I grew to, I went to school with who by like 33, 34 were like well into middle age. Yeah. You and I were young at heart. Oh, definitely. Old in body, but young at heart. You know, I, I, I think that it's all about staving off the becoming your father or staving off becoming that, you know, person that, yeah, I buy a Joe Jost shirt. If you live in Long Beach, you know the deal. Um, or, you know, starting to wear that khaki jacket. And the boat shoes mm-hmm. thing that I'm doing these days, it's a little alarming. Um, well, especially because you've now wiped out and hurt yourself in two different locations yeah. in these boat shoes that you insist on wearing. No. 
Yes. No I was telling uh, Allison last week that I, after falling in Las Vegas on the side of a road in my boat shoes, I was wearing them in the snow and uh, <laughs> Big Bear, and I fell on the same butt cheek. And so now the bruise is just, it feels like it's going to be permanent. Yeah. But I, I think that as a uh, 45-year-old man, it's kind of like thriller, where I know the change is happening, but I'm fighting it. Like, mm. it manifests yes. like, yeah, a little bit of ear hair, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get rid of that. And I make, I don't know, little noises from time to time where it's like, <clears throat> and you know, <laughs> I try not to do those, but they're so satisfying. You know, like your body what rewards. Are, like, are they like when you stand up and get, and when you sit down, you're starting to groan? No, just for no reason. Like you're watching TV, everything's fine. You just go, <clears throat> <laughs> my husband, my husband is starting to do this too. Yeah. There's noises happening around the house emanating from Daniel where I'm like, that sounds like my dad. Yeah. And you got to you got to call it out or else and and, and mock him or else he's going to slide right into that. You know, I guess I do need to. I I, I, that hasn't been the approach I've taken, but I need to not let it slide like this. I also find that I've started systemizing things which I think mm. is a dad way of doing stuff. It's like, uh, if I'm going to a football game, it's like I have it all dialed. It's like, I take my 9 o'clock flight out of Long Beach Airport. I get to the mm-hmm. place at blah, blah, blah time. And then I go, I have two beers at this thing. And then I go over here, and by 11.35, I got to be at the front gate. Right? I'm starting to do that, yeah. which is not spontaneous. It's like young people, no. spontaneous. Old people, they'll do a whole thing and not even talk about whether they enjoyed it. It's just that they hit all their, their time stamps. You know, right. like I got into Disneyland and after that I had a cup of coffee. After that, we went on It's a Small World and then we bolted over to blah, blah, blah. And then it's, it's you know, or they go on vacation and that's how they see things. Yeah. You know, that being said, that is like very appealing to me mm. to be able to just have something systemized, have it down to a science and then not have to worry about all the specifics of it. Does it give you because f- I find good. Does it give you a feeling of control? Yes. It, just this morning, Daniel said to me, you don't have to control everything. And I thought, I don't know what to do with that information. Uh, it's, yes, a feeling of control, but also like that sense that it's down to a science. So I don't need to worry about something going awry. Like any, you know, we have been on just a handful of trips with the kids just a handful of trips since they've been born. It's not like we're traveling without them either. We just haven't traveled very much like at all in the last few years. So anytime I'm packing for both kids and myself, um, it feels sort of overwhelming. Whereas I would love to get to the point where it's like, oh, I just grabbed this bag and then I do this and I've done this a hundred times so I know how to do it well. Right. I'm not at that point yet. And yeah, but arriving at that makes you more like your mother. Yeah, she has like a legal pad with lists for any sort of eventuality that she might have to pack for. She, she, does she keep using she the same list them to me. for a long time? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like parchment paper at this point. It's like almost see. It's like papyrus. It's like almost see through. It's like uh, some people, they hand down recipes. It's like, mm-hmm. here is your locus of control for the next <laughs> for generations. Oh, my God. Then I would really be a grown up. So I, uh, go ahead. I was thinking about this when I was writing this piece about, um, you know, be, 
becoming like one's parents. And there's some aspects that are positive. Again, you're kind of you're things are getting easier for you because you're systemizing things. You might have a couple more bucks. You're dressing for comfort instead of fashion, you know. But then on the other hand is lots of people, they tend to get kind of closed minded and rigid as they get older. And it reminded me of, I think, one of, I think one of the greatest lines that if people abide by it, uh, I, th I think it's the way to live. And it's, it's a Bob Dylan line from the song, It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding, where he says... I just had to cut you off real fast, and I just had to point out, to quote Bob Dylan is becoming, I don't know, your dad, but it's someone's dad. Oh, it's my dad. <laughs> my dad was a Carry folky. on. He was a folky. <laughs> Uh, but in the light, he says, he not busy being born is busy dying, right? Mm, so you're, yeah. you're either busy being born or you're busy dying. I think lots of times when people get older, when they start, quote, becoming their parents, they become rigid in their mindset. Their their views don't change on things. It's kind of like, I accepted a political belief system when I was 30, and now I'm 80, and I believe the same thing, even though the world has drastically changed. Right. You know, and maybe they don't experience everything of life because they're like, I like eating at this restaurant at four o'clock. I watch this show and the, 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 the joy gets sucked out of life because they become so rigid. And I think that's the real fear, not necessarily having things systemized or uh, wearing comfortable clothing. Um, yes. That being said... For me, lack of variety is the spice of life. Like, I love getting into a rhythm and a routine and, you know, waking up each morning and not knowing what the day holds. That is hell to me. I don't like that at all. I, I am the exact opposite. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I like shrivel up in, in that type of environment. And I'm really? also incapable of behaving that way. It's just not in my brain, you know. I'm a pretty spontaneous person, I think. And... So old age will not suit me, you know. Mm -hmm. I was maybe good as a young man, but will be a terrible old man. Because I, I think pe people go through life, and they can either be like, man, that guy was a great young guy, but a terrible old guy. <laughs> you know, it's like Mark Twain was like the most awesome old guy ever, but was probably a right. mediocre 25-year-old. I would say similar to Angela Lansbury. Correct, you know. Betty White, it was like, oh, she was great when she was 60. Oh, my God, at 99, perfection. Yeah. Age like wine. And then, you know, the captain of your high school football team, great at 18, probably mm -hmm. uh, miserable existence by 28. Upworthy, Upworthy Weekly. Weekly. Uh, here's a story with the headline, if your teen's being sarcastic, it's probably because they're intelligent. I... Love, I still identify with myself as a sarcastic teenager. So I love this so much. And this is by Shondney G. And it ran on Tuesday. So uh, there was a study done by researchers at the University of Calgary. And they found that sarcasm in teenagers can be a sign of intelligence. Uh, so Penny Pexman, which I think is such a great name, a psycholinguist at the University of Calgary, argued that sarcasm requires the brain to jump through numerous hoops to arrive at a correct interpretation, requiring more brain power than literal statements and then several other psychologists and neuroscientists have agreed with her she believes the complexity of sarcasm is a result of its long developmental trajectory across childhood generally children under the age of five are unable to detect sarcasm however this changes as they get older 
Convinced about the benefits of using sarcasm, Pexman has started designing training programs. I love that. To help. Okay, what does this mean? Nice one. <laughs> to help with an underdeveloped sense of sarcastic irony. And there's even a book. This was not written by Penny Pexman, but there's a book which I need to buy immediately called Sydney Gets Sarcastic. And it's like to introduce the idea of sarcasm to kids who are maybe not getting it. Now, at what age do you drop that on a kid? I I could be totally wrong, but I feel like it's sort of like in the 8 to 10 zone maybe. Mm, okay. But I don't know. Uh, look, I've been accused of being sarcastic since I was yay high. Uh, and in fact, I remember the first guy I dated said when we were kind of uh, consciously uncoupling said to me something like when I first met you I thought it was so great that you're sarcastic but I didn't realize you're sarcastic like 90% of the time and I said oh is that like 50% too much (laughs) (laughs) but I was being sincere kind of but then also I know that I haven't done this in a really long time but something I used to do all the time was like okay for the next you know, five minutes, I'm not going to be sarcastic at all. And then I would notice that everything I said sounded sarcastic, no matter what. So people always think I'm being sarcastic, even when I'm not. It's obviously, as the researchers at the University of Calgary have proven, it's because of my high intellect. I know. It's like they're saying... (laughs) You look so unconvinced. It's like... um, I, but I think you are sarcastic and obviously intelligent, or else you wouldn't be. Thank you. The host of Upworthy Weekly. <laughs> it reminds me of there's a great episode of The Simpsons, Homer Palooza, I think from like 1994 or something, and the two two kids are sitting there watching like this Lollapalooza thing and one says something, the other one says, "Are you being sarcastic?" And the the kid says, "I don't even know anymore." Yes, this I, this has been quoted to me. <laughs> oh, here comes that cannonball guy. He's cool. Are you being sarcastic, dude? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> and I think that I, I maybe because I was probably a sarky uh, kid most of my life, and maybe I am a bit to this day, but probably not as much as I used to be. But I, I think that you get to the point where you can't even sound genuine when you're trying to be genuine. Yes. And you have to do the... I'm going to put on my genuine face now because I think most people know me as a goofball who just kind of makes jokes all the time. And every once in a while I'll get serious and then they don't know how to react. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know how to be serious or I don't know how to comfort people. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a tough one. So you don't know how to comfort people? I feel like this this went from sarcasm can be a sign of your teenager's intelligence to something else. <laughs> I don't recognize facial expressions. With people. <laughs> right. Upworthy, Upworthy Weekly. Parents are sharing the things they keep repeating to their kids who just never listen. Mm. By Todd. That's all kids. Ooh. So I I chose a lot of my own stories this week, but I I think that subconsciously, yeah, I think subconsciously, if I think it's interesting to write about, I think it's interesting for the show, right? I would argue that's conscious. Yeah. Consciously. Parenting can seem a lot like parroting. You repeat the same demands. You like that? Mm Mm-hmm. That's poetry, my friend. 
You repeat the same demands over and over again. Get in the car. Put on your shoes. Stop putting your finger in the light socket. The list goes on and on. As parents, we don't want to sound like a nag. We'd like them to listen for the first time, but sometimes it seems impossible. No parent is perfect, nor any child, so the struggle continues. And no parrot is perfect. Adam Rittenberg, senior writer for College Football at ESPN, asked his followers what they had to tell their kids incessantly, and he got back a list that every parent will understand. Jay writes, leave your sister alone. Or, yes. I'm going to count to three. Chad writes, when we're trying to leave the house for any reason, I have to say, get in the car at least 10 times before the entire family actually gets in the car. And Dave says, he constantly repeats, why would you do that? <laughs> and I was just thinking, like, if I made my list, it would be get dressed, get dressed, get mm -hmm. dressed, you know. Um, put, put the seat up, put the seat up, put the seat up, you know. All right, take two more bites of, you know, your cheese toast. Okay, one, one more bite, you know, micromanaging their food consumption. Uh, yes. Allison, you have two kids, so what I do you... I do. There's... There's a lot of, okay, two more minutes, because we try to do the thing where whatever the next activity is, if it's something where it's going to take cajoling, we give them a warning. So like, okay, bath time in 10, 10 more minutes. Okay, two more minutes. There's always a two-minute warning. So it's always like two more minutes, two more minutes. Um, a big thing is Owen, my two-year-old, almost three-year-old. And I feel like all kids this age do this. There's an age where they just don't want to sit down to eat. They want to like be on the move while they're eating. And his preschool, though, like one thing they're very emphatic about, because I think it's a safety choking issue, is that they have to be sitting on their on their butt when they're eating. Um, so I'm constantly like, Owen, sit down. Honey, I need you to sit down. Owen, sit down. And then, in fact, one day I, uh, I heard Elliot say to him, Owen, sit, sit, Owen, sit, your majesty. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it really cracked me up. Uh, and one day I said to Owen, like, Owen, I need you to sit on your butt. And he's eating cheese. And he took the cheese and like held it behind him. And he goes, I sit on the cheese. Oh, so that's comedy. I, that's what I, that was my reaction too. like, he's already doing bits at this age. So there's a lot of that. There's um, share with your brother. Uh, don't push your brother. We don't hit in this house. We don't hit in this house. That one a lot. Um, what else? Okay, bath time, guys. You need the don't hit in this house on like one of those signs that goes out in front of the house. Like, in, in this, this house, house, we like, believe. Yeah, we don't hit in this house. You know, how does... Do you have to deal with that with, with an only kid? Oh, what? Hitting? Like, reminding him that we don't hit in this house. It's not or really not I, to hit things like that. I mean, for a while, given his size, it's been like I've almost need to wear a cup in the house because he goes like <laughs> right for the junk all the time. Like if he's gonna hug me, he goes in head first right into the mm -hmm. like. I have to, ah, ah, back off. <laughs> uh, he doesn't hit us. Uh, he had a real problem in soccer with uh, not tackling mm -hmm. kids. On the, mm. on the pitch, which was fun, by the way, that's something you want to deal with, like the looks of other parents when your kid like tackles them on the thing. <laughs> uh, but inside, were you secretly like, well, at least he's you know not going to be pushed around by other kids? There was a little bit of that, 
And then and I, then I saw it getting becoming a real problem with him getting old oh. and, and not learning how to do that. And then there was part of me that has really indoctrinated him into the uh, world of Raider football, where bending the rules is totally acceptable and uh, encouraged. So, yeah, it was a little weird. But, <laughs> I, you know, just the repeating thing is like, I hate being a nag. And, mm. you know, you want to be cool, dad. But again, you become your parents because you're sitting there like, don't do this, don't do this. And I, I don't like the idea of micromanaging somebody else's behavior, mm-hmm. even though it's a child. Like I'm pretty anti-authoritarian, I think, in most of my, the way I try to interact with the world. And being that person irks me and I'm very uncomfortable doing it. Um, but yet y- y- you have to on, on a certain point. Yeah, I have a bit of that too. Um, this sort of like live and let live. Like I don't want to, you know, enforce my way and blah, blah, blah. But which is something as a parent I've had to work on because you do at the end of the day, you are, you have a lot more maturity and wisdom, hopefully than your very young child. And really you are, you know, you do have to make decisions that will keep them safe and healthy and put them on the right path. And that does mean being the authority, but it's hard. We knew somebody who was a uh, free-range parent, mm. and it was weird because, and I'm sorry if you're listening, but it was awkward for me because I didn't know how to deal with this situation. There was a, a three-year-old running towards the street, Oh gosh. and we are like on a cul-de-sac like at a party, and the kid was headed for the street, and I was like, oh, whoa, 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 don't go in the street. And then the mother goes, I'm sorry, he's a free-range kid. This makes me horrified. Yeah, and then I think, okay, so when I'm standing in court, when they say, why didn't you stop the kid from getting hit by a Range Rover? Oh, well, she told me, you know, free range. What are you going to do? You know? So, and, and I get the whole thing where people are like, we used to live in a time where people ran around the block and they didn't come home to the lights turned on. And I love all that. I want that. I want that for my kid. But I draw the line at, we let him run in the middle of the child. street. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have like if you see a if you see a child about to hurt themselves. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. Alice, rate your week. Yes. One through five. Let's hear it. One being awful and five being awesome. Oh, geez. Yeah, I didn't I didn't write that down. I got to get my formatics okay. right. I'm a little off today. It's okay. People could figure it out. Uh, I am going to give this week a three. It's a, it's a 2.75. I'm going to oh. give it a 2.75. Uh. Look, I'm also anti-authority, so I reject your five designations, and I go in the middle. I'm going to say 2.75. Uh, you know, I forget if I was talking about this last week, but I just am having some January malaise. It's very like, what is the point of it all? Every day is kind of samey, despite me my talking about how I like a lack of variety in my days. This is a little extreme. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I'm just, I've just got some like low level pandemic depression happening. Um, when you have two young unvaccinated kids, it is difficult and I have decision fatigue and I don't know how to even think about COVID anymore. Is it just a mild thing? And 
that I've been afraid of for two years. So I don't, you know, like I went, I had to go to a doctor's appointment and there were a couple people in the waiting room with their masks below their nose. And I was uncomfortable with that. So I went out into the hall and waited out there. And then like someone walked by pushing a guy in a wheelchair and he had a mask on, but the woman pushing him wasn't wearing a mask. And then I'm just like, ah, and I don't, but, but do I even need to be worried about this? I don't, cause I had my high quality mask on. I'm just so tired of doing this math all the time. Um, yeah. So, you know, I had some good times with my family. But overall, I'd say I've had better weeks. I'd say I think my advice. Let's say let's say I was your therapist. Let's say you're paying me two hundred fifty okay. bucks an hour to talk to me. Uh, I mean, it's uh, hard to imagine, but okay. <laughs> I would say that you need to make a decision on where you stand with the COVID thing and what your boundaries are with it, and that you know what yes. I'm saying. You need, you need a concrete way of looking at it that obviously derived by science. You know, do your own research. Mm-hmm. You know. And then go, okay, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what makes me comfortable. This is what makes me uncomfortable. You know? Well, that's kind of a little bit, I think, where the 2.75-ness is coming from is that I think my brain is in a different place than my heart, my emotions right now. Right. Like, intellectually, I know... Look, I'm not going to go out and try to get it. I don't. I think that's a bad idea. But intellectually, I know that, like, it's fairly okay right now. I mean, it's the case rates are very scary in a, in LA at least right now. Mm-hmm. But I mean like it's everyone who I know who's had it lately, it's very mild. But inside I am nervous about it. Right. So, I don't think my I'm not I don't I can't get the comfort level to just be like, "Oh, whatever, I'm going to live my life and whatever happens happens." Cuz I see plenty of people doing that, but I'm not there yet. And look, I know where this is headed and no, I'm not a better person. Arguably I am losing my mind and it's sort of like a dog that is bored and begins, you know, chewing its fur off in spots or like destroying things. I just think my brain is spinning out. What about you on a scale of one to five? How was your week? Five being amazing. I'm going to say it was a three uh, because I did have had a nice weekend in Big Bear with my family and some friends and... It was interesting because on the way home, my, it was my, my kid's first trip to the snow. And so on the way home. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so he was sledding and building snowmen and the whole thing of just getting wet. And he just loved it. Threw himself in whole hog, you know, because I call him my little piggy. <laughs> and he just had a blast. So on the way home, he was crying in the car, just bawling. Mm. And he said... he didn't want to go home? Yeah, he didn't want to go home. And he mm. said, I wish it was snowing every day. Oh. And then he said, I wish it snowed forever. And it was one of these things where I think as a little kid, when you really enjoy something, like you're at, you're at Disneyland and you're just like, I wish I could stay at Disneyland forever. Yeah. Right? And then as an adult, you realize that if you're in Disneyland forever, then eventually you're going to get bored of it or, you know, annual pass holders know this, right? Eventually it's not as, <laughs> not as special anymore yeah, or whatever. Uh, but then I was, then I started thinking and I wasn't even in the shower. I was just driving, looking down the windy road and I started thinking to myself, like sitting there and just being lost in it, playing with my kid in the snow. It was, it was wonderful. And it was the kind of thing where as a parent, you wish like, Oh, I wish this mm-hmm. could this magical 
moment, which sometimes happens when you have kids, that you come out of it for a moment and you go, isn't this just perfect? You know? Yeah. So I was thinking about that. And then I thought, like, maybe this gets into are you a better person or worse? But I was thinking that, okay, how do you, when these moments happen or you're just coming out of these moments, uh, how, how do you best really integrate them and appreciate them and, and do it? And I was like, okay, you got to have gratitude when it's happening. Like, I know and I appreciate this and I'm grateful for it. And then that way you can fully kind of appreciate it. And, mm-hmm. and no, that's not going to be that way forever. I'm going to have a sarcastic teen. I'm going to be like, just get out of this house at a certain point or I'll be old. It's, like, hey, it's cold out here, you know. <laughs> uh, so I know that it, was, it felt like kind of a, a, a perfect moment. And one of the reasons why everything wasn't perfect, as was alluded to earlier, is I was wearing boat shoes in the snow. And I immediately, like my first steps in the snow, it was like, whoop. And I, I fell on my butt in the same spot that I'd fallen in Vegas the week before. And uh, so then I was like really sad. And then I was like, well, at least I'm not so old that I broke a hip. But Yes. Maybe you are a better person because you were able to find the silver lining of your pretty nonsensical footwear choice. The point of boat shoes, I always thought it had to do with so you don't slip on the boat. But is it actually like they're gentle on whatever the deck is made out of? You know, I just wear them because it, it makes it look, look like I'm a rich guy, you know? I feel the boat shoes. It's like you get extra respect when you have no socks on. Also, rich and man, poor shoes. man, no socks. Yes. Um, it, it, you know, you get respect walking into place like, oh, boat shoes. Whoa. Doesn't even wear socks. You know, uh, he's 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 rich, but he's really kind of loose about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's kind of also like I have a theory that I want to try. I want to buy a shirt that says Stanford. Oh, OK. Or Harvard. Yeah. You know, the people that went there, they wear those shirts, like the gray heathered shirt with like the black. Oh, yeah. No, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with what you're with the whole vibe you're going for. And I thought like if I wore boat shoes and a Stanford shirt when I walked into places and was like, hey, can I get a table? Like maybe I get the table quicker or there would be some kind of subtle ways that people are reacting to me like, oh, he's smarter than everybody, you know. That I would get some kind of privilege in this world if I if I did that. I don't know, but try I, it. I haven't seen anybody else do it. You know, you've never seen someone wear boat shoes and a Stanford shirt. No, I've never seen anybody that didn't go there wearing. Oh right, yeah. Know. Try it. Like you, know, you got to try it and report back. Like you know, the, right? Like mm. go ahead. Oh, you know they have those like guys that try to dress like they're in the military. Mm-hmm. Because it bestows a certain thing upon them, then real military people find them. They're like stolen yes. valor, and they <laughs> they say like any yeah. anybody in the military wouldn't wear the shirt like that, and they know the whole thing. And right, I once found these videos online, and I found them so joyous to watch. I don't know, it's just like random military guys going up to random guys in the mall trying to like some like way out of shape guy. Uh, trying to act, pass off like he was once a Marine, and then the military guy like breaks the guy down for doing it. And I think I watched like a half hour just of those videos because it was so pleasing <laughs> seeing the guy who tried to put one over on people, you know. 
So uh, we are going on a, a family trip in a couple months, and we're bringing my mother-in-law, and she has a PhD, and I was booking our airline tickets, and there's that drop-down where you have to say, like, Mrs., Mr., Ms., Doctor, whatever, you know, there's a couple other options. So I put doctor for her because she has a doctorate. She does not call herself doctor, but you know, she is. And I was, this is sort of my version of the Stanford shirt and boat shoes. If we, you know, for someone who hasn't gone there. Um, But, and I was thinking like, I wonder if she or we will get different treatment because they think she's a doctor. But then I was thinking, but we're on an airplane. This is potentially the one place where you really don't want them to think you're a doctor if you aren't a doctor. So... We'll see what happens. Oh, yeah. Like somebody goes down with a coronary and she's just like, no, it was linguistics. <laughs> not, I, I, I could tell you all about Korzybski. But right. I have, they're like, is there a doctor on board? And then they're like giving her a pointed look like we know you are. She's like, no, I just I went back to school. I made time for it. Is there anybody on this plane with a Stanford education? <laughs> <laughs> Upworthy Weekly. Here's a story, Todd. Women list 23 small gestures they wish men did more often. And this is by Jissa Joseph, and it ran on Tuesday. Uh, So almost every answer indicated that at the root of it all, all women need from the men in their lives is for them to be a little kinder and a little bit more understanding and attentive. So I just uh, I'm going to highlight just a few of the answers that the women gave. These are things, small gestures that they wish men did more often. Uh, one said head scratches when I'm laying down on the couch. I don't think that's one for me. I don't, I don't think I would want that. Uh, no, I, I mean, I'm okay with it, but my wife would be like, am I the dog? Yeah. This, it's, some people really like to be scratched and others not so much. Uh, here's one putting their phone away during quality time, especially at the beginning. I can't even imagine having quality time with my husband without our phones also there. Uh, Instead of complimenting her looks or anything physical, give her a small compliment about a part of her personality. It goes farther than you think. Uh, This is like really anachronistic, but I feel like advice. I don't even know where I heard this, but I feel like advice to dudes, you know, 50 years ago or something was like, tell the smart girls they're pretty and the pretty girls they're smart. Not that there's only two kinds of people in the world. I'm just saying. I'm sure I heard this in some movie that's been canceled. Okay. Uh, Any gesture of thoughtfulness from a thinking of you text to, and I know these are your favorite small gift. I really appreciate that. Like my husband and I were talking about going out to dinner some time ago. We had just brought up his, his mom, the aforementioned doctor PhD was in town. And so she could watch the kids and we were like, we should go out to dinner. And so we just brought it up and then like put it away. And then he sent me a text the next day saying, do you still want to try to go to dinner? I I would love to go out with you. And it was it's this is my this is Daniel. We've talked about him on the show. It's my husband. I've been with him for 100 years. And yet something about that text, like a little sort of like ripple of that excitement you feel when you're first falling for someone or when you have a crush. Like I felt that just from that little little text telling me he would love to go out with me. Um, okay. Uh, oh, listening instead of fixing and then using my name when talking to me. I don't know how to explain it, but hearing the right person say my name gives me instant butterflies. I remember I was once chatting up a gal in a bar 
And she said this to me, and it, well, it was at that moment I knew that the things were going to work out well. But she said, who are you? Mm. I thought, oh, like I was some kind of mystery man. You know, right. And, and 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 it made me feel good. It was one of those things like mm-hmm. doing that certain thing like, oh, yes, I I am a unique individual is what I thought. You know, she she was pointing out that I wasn't just like every other guy. Yeah. You know, and so that made me feel special or whatever. Right. Uh, because she said it, it sounds flirtatious is what it, she was being flirtatious. Right. Yes. Yes. Yes, she was. Yeah. Anyway, uh. So yeah, that was it. Has anybody ever said anything like that to you? Where like, who are you? Or like, you know, just like a a, a great compliment that wasn't something you were normally complimented on, or something that took you by surprise. And you're like, wow, this this person's really keyed into me. You know. Um, I'm having trouble think. I'm sure they. I'm sure there have been moments like that. I'm having trouble thinking of them, but I know that with my husband, I have felt those that sort of like excitement of early crush there's been moments where I felt that even though we've we had at the times he said these things been together a while um one was he said I still have such a crush on you and for some reason that just really made me feel I think because I don't know how it is for you guys but as someone who's who is married I feel like there's a real comfort level that comes from being married and we you know it was we were just friends at the beginning uh and then we started dating and fell in love and I feel like it became serious very fast Mm -hmm. and in sort of a like real life intruded kind of way um where we've been a married couple we've been like an old married couple for a long time in our in our marriage even though we've been together for like 10 years but we've just I don't know we just kind of knew really quickly that you're the one and blah 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 and so I think I I think anything that makes me feel like some of those early feelings are still there makes me that he's still you know is excited to be with me and thinks of me as special as opposed to like us just both taking each other for granted which I think it's easy it's easy for that to happen oh yeah um, so that makes me feel special. And then also one time he said, uh, I couldn't even fall out of love with you if I wanted to. And I've tried <laughs> and it was silly, but it was like very reassuring. That sounds like, like a line in a Humphrey Bogart movie or like some forties. <laughs> I couldn't even fall out of love with you if I tried. Like, yeah. Come on. I mean, he was kind he was being facetious, but still it was, uh, I don't know. That bit. I thought it was funny, but it also made me feel good. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to Upworthy Weekly. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, iHeartRadio, or anywhere that you uh, listen to podcasts and so you don't miss us next week. And if you can, leave a review. That goes a long way for it us. It helps, yes. I didn't even realize, I only recently discovered that even on Spotify, you can, you, I don't think you can submit a review, but you can rate podcasts. So I suspect wherever you're out there listening, there's a way to rate. Give us a nice rating. It helps the show. Thank you. Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd 
at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.